our awareness is the mother. Our awareness should be the mother. Our awareness is the greatest processor and healer of that pain. So we need to, to deal the same way with our own grief and fear and pain. Today on the podcast, a conversation between Geshe, Tenzin, Wangol Rinpoche, and SAND co-founders Zaya and Rizio Benazzo, entitled Guidance for Living and Dying, Entering the Bardo. Welcome to the Sounds of Sand, presented by Science and Non-Duality, offering dialogue on the bridge between science and spirituality. If you're ready to explore together, listen in. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Welcome back to The Sounds of Sand, the Science and Non-Duality podcast. So thanks again to all of those who've given us feedback on our first couple of episodes. If you could do us a favor and leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps a lot to spread the message of the show. We've got some great episodes coming up with some older conversations that we're bringing out and some new people we'll be speaking with. And today we bring you a profound yet sometimes light and funny conversation with Tibetan meditation master and teacher Geshe Tenzin Wangol Rinpoche. And this conversation was recorded at the 2020 Dying and Living online summit. And in their conversation between Tenzin, Zaya, and Maurizio Bonazzo, they touch into such topics as the fear of death in Western culture death as a teacher of being in control, the Bon and Vajrayana schools of Buddhism, the concepts of detachment and not-self, understanding a bit deeper the idea of the bardo and as it relates to death and rebirth, but also in sleep, which touches into dream yoga, dying and living consciously, grief, parenting, and the wisdom of Dzogchen and the sutras. And so let's get into the conversation. Geshe Tenzin Wangul Rinpoche is the founder and spiritual director of the Ling Mingcha International. He's a respected and beloved teacher in the Bon Buddhist tradition, and he has students in more than 25 countries and teachers, teaches around the world and reaches thousands of students through his online program. And you can reach out to him and connect through his website, which we'll list in the show notes lingmingcha.org. And Zaya and Maurizio Benazzo, who conduct this conversation, are the co-founders of Science and Non-Duality. They're filmmakers, activists, and facilitators of conversations like the one you're about to hear. And now I bring you Guidance for Living and Dying, Entering the Bardo. Thank you. It's always a, such a joy to have you with us. It's been a pleasure to see you at Sand in person. Thank, and you. Now again, thank you again for the honor of being with us. It's really, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. 
And as the title of our event, um, we are exploring, the theme this year we're exploring is really death. And what is our relationship to death? What does it mean uh, to die and to be, we're all facing, we're all walking in that direction. And how do we prepare for that moment? If it's a moment uh, or it's a process, we're, we're, we're exploring all this conversation. So we were wondering if you could start maybe just to give us um, a sense of how do you view that in the Bond tradition? How do you work? How do you approach it? How do you prepare? Sure. Uh, what is the Bardo state just for the... Uh, for the ignorant Western mind, maybe sure. all the stages to Bardo. There's a lot of questions, but... A lot of questions. Yeah, so we can go for maybe one at a time. So uh, again, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very honored to be here and uh, with all the people. And I hope that even though this will be recorded, I hope that everybody's enjoying this beautiful conference. So we. I always enjoy being down there with the people. So, but this is another norm. So, so first of all, I think the title of dying and living, it's also, I kind of noticed a little bit. Usually we have living and dying. People say that. And so I'm thinking, okay, dying and living, that sounds good too, you know? And I'm thinking that maybe that's also a really important title because uh, somehow, in, we think about living <coughs> and dying is something totally two separate thing. And, uh, and, and, and what do you choose? If you have only one thing you wanted to have, people say living, not dying. <laughs> you wanted to skip the whole together dying part. And I always said, if you don't want to die, you should never have born. That's the only way to avoid the death. And uh, so nothing wrong in no, nothing wrong dying, nothing wrong about the death. And in a way, if you wanted to live, you have to die. My mother always uses there's a sunset. If you wanted to see the sunrise, you got to experience the beauty of the sunset. So without sun without sunset, there won't be sunrise. So I think uh, dying and living is a beautiful title. One thing I think uh, really being in the West for many years and uh, teaching what I experience is this very kind of uh, negative view on the death. I remember very clearly at one time that at the Rice University giving a talk on death and dying and, and um, the word death when I wrote on a blackboard and uh, there's a, one of the audience lady was there, she was completely angry and not happy and and uh, just the word and then on the other hand she told me that she, her husband passed away many years ago uh, 20 years ago but she's still very attached and uh, I felt I felt like a saying but I did not say is your husband is remarried and having a wonderful family with kids and even forgot about you <laughs> but I did not say that you know because you can be so attached to 25 years, not understanding there is, at least in, we believe there is a life after, and life after continues, there's nothing wrong. We, what is the problem with the death is the only the fear that we have, negative association that we have toward the death. You know, if you think about, uh, of course, this is a human being, we, we love living, we feel, we identify so much with the living, 
but the idea of death is almost like a failure, the end, the lost, separation, disconnection. These are the words and terms that we associate with the idea of death, but that's not the case. It's the continuation, it's, you know, rebirth, and uh, it's, it's a lively, and nothing wrong about it. So I think that that sense of having right relationship to the idea of death, I think that is very important. I remember my teacher who was, when he was passing away, I remember I was around 10 years old and uh, sitting in my room and I saw him swing, he, he has a swing machine, is preparing uh, prayer flags, uh, the mantras that will be burned with his body. And uh, he was preparing it because he need, you know, his, our, our death ceremonies are quite elaborate in the burnt, Tibetan burnt tradition. So, but at that time, I did not think about it. But after when I think about it, I was amazed because he was singing a joyful song. <laughs> he was singing song and making this cloth that will be burned pretty much very soon. He's expected, he kind of knew and maybe within a year or so he will pass away. Then on the other hand, I noticed my, some of my students who come from Boston to Virginia retreat, they will call me weeks before, how's the weather? What should I bring? Uh, they're getting freaking out, you know, getting anxious about coming to the retreat or going to the Bahama beach. Do I need to get sunglasses and sun cream? So agitated about going to holiday and here, so joyful journey of the death. So world is so different. <laughs> yeah, we've become. I mean, in the West, we 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 say that we've become a death phobic and uh, death denying and grief phobic uh, society. Really, these two. Yeah, absolutely. We've lost connection, relationship. How we don't even know how to grieve these days. Or sure. Meet mm. loss. That's why it's so disorienting what is happening in the world perhaps now yeah so i think in generally in the west either it's about the death or pain any pain particularly in in relation to the death is uh, the fear of the death the dying is what is very difficult to process i think in it, every time whenever we you know like you think about deaths, for example, World War II, maybe 70 to 85 million deaths in six bloody years. I mean, amazing. We are talking COVID-19, it's one year, about a million. So, of course, when we think about that, right now, COVID-19 is a big deal because this is the closest experience we are having. The World War II, 85 million people who are dead, we don't think about them, they're gone. Uh, this is far away. And then we, when we know, even you hear every day, 30, 40 people, thousand people are dying. We say, oh, I'm so sorry, sad, but it's okay. When you say, oh, my uncle died, or my sister, or my husband, or maybe my child will die, then it, or maybe I will die. When the death comes closer, closer, closer to yourself, then you begin to feel the fear. The fear, which is always there, it just happened to come out as a fear of death. It's not, 
it's a death fear store there, labeled death fear, and it's coming out that particular moment. It's your fear could come out any form, but it came coming out form of the death. So it's somehow unable to acknowledge, embrace, hug, deal, process with that fear, deep-rooted fear that exists in us. And that is very much related with our pain identity. So I think that is the core issue. And would you say this is a fear of the unknown? Uh, really, the inhalation, like we have no control. Unknown mm -hmm. means like it's not in my control. Sure, absolutely. I think in some sense that, you know, I mean, our delusion idea, of we have some control over the life. We, we do not have any control over the life. If we do have control over the life, we will definitely not make the 2020 the what 2020 is. We do not have any control. We don't, do not have a next month control. You know, our president, Donald Trump, he did have a control. He's the most powerful, protected person. He did not have a control, the virus to come in, come in, you know, but no weapon, the nuclear weapon can protect. But the mask can, <laughs> you have to acknowledge the little things, right? So some sense of what our life has so much to do with the denial and, and not able to face the truth and acknowledge the truth and not continu continuously caught up with the, put oneself in a prison either, you know, like living as much as possible freely, but at the same time, with a lot of awareness surrounding us. So I think it has so much to do with the denial. Absolutely, I agree, yeah. So in the bone tradition, how do you practice, how do you create that relationship with that? Well, you know, our practices, uh, there are so many different forms of practices related to the death. And, um, the first of all, uh, even when you're like a teenage, when we were growing up as a teenage, you know, a teenage, usually you don't think about the death so much. You know, I don't, I mean, now I see more, I hear more the word death. I hear more people who are dying, more people who are dying my age, a little older, but teenage, you don't think, but still we have to practice the death. Our way of practicing the death, the first thing, one of the first meditation you learn is the practice of impermanence, practice of attachment, practice of self-grasping. So, so somehow uh, attachment is a, like a grosser form. You are attached to material things, the situations and the issues, but then you are, you grasp self-identity, self what I call it pain identity, whoever I think I am, I am grasping it and I'm for sure I'm never that. I'm never that one, one, one limited individual. You know, I'm not that little baby. I'm not that little teenage. I'm, you know, I'm growing, I'm evolving constantly. I'm no one of the before, you know, do I want to be teenage? No, I'm not a teenage anymore. Good thing I'm not a teenage. <laughs> I especially knowing my son, you know, who's in teenage. So, so you're not every time you identify with, and whatever I'm identifying now, I'm not this either. Like I'm not teenage. So if I'm I'm happy that I don't identify with the teenage, I will be very happy. Maybe in 20, 30 years, 50 years, maybe 
after my last life, oh, I did not identify with that guy, you know, so I'm not. So some sense of this is not holding on your identity, not being attached to the things we learned very early age. And this has been reinforced, reintroduced into the moment of the death. Now, you have been learning this. This is the moment, let go, let go, let go. So one of the most important practice of transition of the death, transitioning the processing fear of the death is letting go, detachment, and being free from self-pain identity. And I, as a teacher, I see even right now, I have few people that I know that one of, one of the frequently I problem is everybody denying the death. I know a person who is in the process of dying and you cannot talk about the death. And, and, uh, and you know, and everybody knows, and even this person knows in some way in the deep inside, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is my moment. Maybe I need to do something. I'm sure that comes in, in the mind, but it denies it. And not wanted to talk, not wanted to face, and will say something, where are we going to go holiday next summer? In that moment, planning for next holiday. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's why the name dying and leaving, because in our, in our vision is like, unless you have a, a full open relationship to death, your life is not uh, fully, it cannot be fully expressed. That, that was, that's, that's why the dying and leaving instead of the living and dying. You know? Let's start from, from our relationship to dying so we can, we can expand to our relationship to living because then... Yes, absolutely. You know, there are many time experiences of life where, I mean, many, many times scientifically finding all the near-death experiences made people much more in the present, much more kinder, much more spiritual, much more connected, much, they live much more after their experiences of the death yeah. is powerful. Yeah. yeah. And somehow, you, you know, if you did not go through the near death experience, but you can in meditation, in your awareness, you can fully embrace the idea of death and feel it every moment you're dying, every moment you might die, every, tomorrow you might not be here. And these awareness is what makes you give you more life and energy and joy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's that. I, I had a near death experience, and when I came back, it was the happiest life. Like, I felt so vibrant, I felt so alive, like never before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, should we start? Should we start, uh, start from the basic? I, I would like, if you don't mind, to explain us a bit about the, some, the teaching of the bardo. What are the bardo states? Because to me, it's a mythical word that I heard since I was a child in Europe, the bardo. And yeah. I love to hear your description. Sure. So, bardo, literally, it's a Tibetan word. Bardo means intermediate state, in between. So that's what really, what literally it means. And there are many different traditions and slightly different ways of explaining it. But most of the known aspect of the pardo is after 
death, the, the stages of after death. But also in our tradition, we say, we say, Tsei Pardo. Tsei Pardo means your life. Right now, we are in the Pardo. Mm -hmm. So moment you are born, until you get the disease which will lead you to the death, that's called the life Pardo. Life Pardo. So we are in the Pardo. The moment you get that disease until you die, that's called near-death Pardo. And then after you die, with all the dissolution of the element, what it becomes, it becomes completely blank. Like when near-death uh, experiences where people talking about the black tunnels or something like that, probably it's somewhere, somewhere there. And then where you begin to see the light, you begin to see, we say, you see sound, light, and rays, da, we, ser. And when you begin to see that, that, that's called like clear light intermediate state. And then when you have these experiences of vision and the, in the Buddhism, the belief that is your, your relationship to those first visions. But the, because the first vision could be very like a pure energy, simply like a pure energy or experiences of light. Then you begin to, instead of seeing them as it is, you begin to project them through your previous karmic conditions and, and habits like a fear or I, or I love it. I wanted to grasp the rainbow, catch it. Or, oh, this is, sounds not very good. Maybe this is a demon. Then immediately this light becomes a horrifying images. You're trying to run away. So these light transforms into the images of whatever you wanted to produce them. So those are called, and then once you lose the connection that moment, it's a process to rebirth. And the rebirth is based on what these initial interaction and experiences you have with. So that's the general idea of what Pardo is. And then in the tradition, people, people trying to make sure, I'm valuing these things, people make sure that during the moment of the death, they know much disturbances. They will uh, limit who they meet, dying person meets, particularly people they don't like, they have not a good connection with, particularly people who bring them issue, remind them some negative experiences. Avoid all those things, preparing, creating a more uh, in, uh, right environment, peaceful environment, and uh, environment that every senses can remind them that their beauty, their practice, their love, their joy, their spiritual practices. So people will bring those energy there. And then in the last moment of the death, uh, the teacher will come, will, will what we call a near, I say, introduction to the death. A teacher will say, okay, now this is the moment you're dying. This is the moment you will, you might see this, you might feel this, you might experience these things. Don't uh, chase them, don't run away from them. This is your own mind, your own vision. So those introductions take place. These all are referred as a pardo, intermediate state. Okay. But I begin to sometimes think about it in life, you know, having teenage, I begin to think that in ancient time, they missed the teenage intermediate state. <laughs> <laughs> then I began to see also not only the teenage intermediate state, but also the middle middle life crisis that is also a part of the state. 
particular. So there's a, I would add two more, Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when we say to die consciously or with consciousness, do you, in your tradition, it means to kind of dissolve those filters or projections through which we even see that or with which we are in the moment of death. Yeah, so what does this mean generally dying consciously or living consciously or sleeping consciously? What does this mean is in some point in our experiences of life, either you are right now, this very moment as we are having interview and discussion here, or you are going to sleep tonight or experiences of the death. What it means is there are moments, there are more connectedness. There are moments, there is more awareness. And, and then there are moments you begin to lose those awareness. I give one example, pretty practical example. Like it generally works for most of the people, like in the morning, you know, right now for us, it's in the morning. So I feel very fresh, have eight, and half hour of sleep. So naturally, I have more clarity, I'm more aware, I'm more connected. And I know every time around one o'clock, I lose this clarity. I lose clarity. I, it's my siesta time, I usually try to take a nap. And sometimes you are not able to, but regardless if you take the nap or not, when you begin to lose it, you can see your body, your energy, your awareness, you begin to disconnect a little bit. You're losing focus. So that is the moment. It's like intermediate state. That is the moment you have to be more aware. So, so, so same way in the pardo, when you go to sleep, same thing. You're, you're conscious and now you're becoming more unconscious. All the awareness is dissolving, senses are dissolving. But in a sleep yoga practice, it says you in unconscious, you have to be conscious. You, be, you have to be aware after you fall asleep. So, so the idea is how you do it, because conscious is very like a light, very bright, and then it got dim, 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 dim. And to the point, it's very dim, but still luminous. It doesn't have to be the same intensity, but awareness is still there. So that is. I think what is really believed in the Pardo is uh, that earth, water, fire, air, space, in that particular sequence, the element dissolves. Earth is gross, solidity, but somehow when it goes to the water, it becomes subtler. I'm, I'm a little bit like this. Then in the end, it goes into space, very space, no earth but awareness still should be there, but awareness should be not earthy awareness, but very luminous, spacious awareness, but awareness is still got to be there. So the exercises are transitioning. Not you lose one, but you're not losing the second one. You lose second one, you're not losing the third one. And is this similar as in sleep, in dream and sleep, those uh, stages, do you? Yeah, it's a similar, like a sleep, a sleep and the pardo stages are very similar. I give one more practical example. For example, if, if you think about love, for example, what is love, you know? Love could be something that very strong, 
very independent, very pervasive, indestructible, that it doesn't depend much on circumstances. Or you can have a love where you have to send, you know, expression of love, you have to send Amazon packages every week. Okay, or flower every two weeks. So those flower did not come, those boxes doesn't come, love is declined, right? Or, or you, or you love means you have to visit every day, or love means you have to call every day, or love means, you know, somehow love is so high, costly and um, high maintenance love. On the other hand, you can, you can have somebody, you can remember somebody that you admire somebody, love someone, even their physical presence is no longer there. But your experience of love from them ever strong before, like blessings of the masters, they're not there, but their presence is very, very strong. You feel strong in your shrine room, in your meditation. They don't have to be there. So our experiences of love or our experiences of ourselves, it should not be dependent on outside, should not be dependent on our body, should not be dependent on our cognitive mind, should not be dependent on our conceptual mind, should not be dependent on our strong, intense emotion. It can be, it can be very spacious. So, but we need to learn how these things mean somehow, losing it, not losing it, losing it, not losing it, losing everything, finding everything. Maintaining the equanimity also in the moment of death. That's yeah, so keeping that balance so that you don't lose it, no? Mm -hmm. And again, in the Bond tradition, how do you understand what keeps living, on living, like the, this body falls away and dies, if consciousness is universal, is not individual, then what does it get reborn? What is it? What is it that they? Yeah. Say? So, so that is a very good question. Um, yeah. So usually, when people think about consciousness, you know, I think uh, it's kind of very complicated uh, word. People have so many different understanding about it. So uh, let's say this way. So there is a consciousness in our tradition. We call pervasive consciousness, the pure consciousness. So that pure consciousness, there is no individuality, there is no personality, there is no location, there is no limitations. It's it not only in beings, sentient beings, but also uh, it's, it is present in the matters. But generally, when we say consciousness, mind stream, that is not necessarily pure. It's limited. Like when we, when I think about my mind and your mind, clearly we have two different minds. That mind, or you can think about a conceptual mind, or when I say, I, it really hurts me. Or it really makes me happy, me. You know, there's something there, right? Something there. Hopefully, is more happy than the sad most of the time, but it's something there. We don't know what it is. So that mind is is somehow you. We think about like a 
identity, your pain identity, your, your identity, your conditional identity, where you refer as a small self, that individual continues, but is related with the mind, not with much with the body. When the body is there, they're together. When the body leaves, it flies like a bird, have a nest. When that nest is broken, it flies to another tree, another nest. So it, that mind continues until that mind frees all its personality, conditions, afflictions. Then that mind is able to be free and merge with that small self, is able to merge with the big self. Then there is no separation. So that is the idea. And no more rebirth. Yeah, then you re rebirth, yeah. And also not only, you know, that small mind keep on re being born again and again, okay. but why it's being born and again and again is because of whatever conditions it has, you know, like for example, how you decide to have, a, do you decide to have a dream tonight? That's a good question, right? So you end up, you're dreamt. You don't dream, you, you're dreamt. You're dreamt because on a base on your actions and emotions, your conditions, your engagement, whatever experience you're having during today and last, these days, last week, it defines your dream. You, and sometimes when you do good dream yoga practitioner, you choose your dream. You say, I wanted to go to Rome. Okay, <laughs> you know, you just have to prepare and the moment you sleep, you're there. You met, you know, definitely you can do that. I have done many times that. And, uh, and, and other times you plan to do that, but you, you're not successful. You wanted to go to, I don't know, Rome, or you end up in hell, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <the same>. <laughs> so somehow it's conditioned by your experiences. So, so what meditation in a practice is what mean, it means is during the lifetime, you're trying to minimize these conditions and bringing more awareness. So you have a choice what to, what, what, how your day look like tomorrow or how your dream will be tonight, how your next life will be. You do have a choice. Mm. What you do is, is defining it. You, you mentioned dreaming. Are there dreaming practices that can prepare us to the transition to death? Yes, absolutely. Like in a way that I look at one cycle of day, it's like uh, one cycle of life. Oh. In the morning when you are born, you're a baby. Like you get up in the morning, you're a little baby, right? You're fresh, you're, you're kind of clear, you don't know where you are and you're kind of moving slow, you're a baby moment. You know, baby, baby moments are a good moment for meditation because your mind is much more clear, morning is good. So as you get around nine, 10 work, work moment, that's where you are professional engagement. You know, you are, your professional pain identity wakes up after the coffee and then you work hard, hard, hard after in midlife crisis and afternoon nap times at the midlife crisis. You know, you don't know what to do very much. In the evening, you're trying to drive each other crazy. And then uh, afterward, you don't not only each other drive crazy, you find your own territorial space, you're driving yourself crazy. So that's the moment of the life, moment of the death. And then in the last moment, you, you fall asleep, you know. 
So in some sense, when you follow sleep, that whole process of following sleep has so much to do with how the day went. So day is so important, how it will define the last moment of the sleep, the process of sleeping. And after, after you follow sleep, what happens in your sleep will be so much dependent on what happened during the daytime and how they are connected to each other. So yeah, and so we in our dream yoga practice, we definitely teach in a way that it is dream yoga practice is preparation for the death. Yeah, I love that. So basically, you see the, the metaphor of life, and that is the metaphor of the day in a lifetime, from being born to be dead, and uh, and so so the the practice of uh, appreciate. Basically, you can experience the practice of appreciating and exploring your death in every day, considering the moment you're gonna go to sleep as the moment of death. So you could use, do your training every time you go to bed to sleep, consider that basically you will never wake up. And this is a, it could be a training for, for the death. Yeah, um, well, I mean, usually I, I, one of the way I think about is, think about, are you, are you afraid to sleep? Mm. Are you afraid to take a nap? Are you afraid to go to sleep tonight? No. Why? Because I know I will wake up after my nap. I will wake up after in the morning. And that's why I'm not. Otherwise, what is the differences between the death and taking a nap or death and going for a night's sleep? Because you're going to wake up tomorrow morning or you're going to be born into this beautiful baby on another life force, fresh life force, right? So somehow, sometimes we do think that way that, um, you know, that it's, it's not nothing permanent. So, uh, yes, you can always apply the practice in a different ways, yeah. Wow. And how important is to have in the moment of death somebody that guides you or that holds space? Um, yeah, so that is uh, very important, you know, like uh, it only really depends on the different people. Uh, some people um need less support and uh, there are stories where some masters they before they are in the process of dying they they put themselves special house and no windows and they put themselves in that room one week before and they close it and one one master supposed to be in tibet he was closed there and after one week later when he, they open open the roof he was gone he became a rainbow body and only nails and hairs were left. And his brother showed up afterward. And when his brother, for, for a moment he saw his brother, brother came a week later because in Tibet takes a long time to get there. So after one, he said, tell him not to have him come before week, arrive before week. He have to arrive after week because he will, brother will interfere his process of liberation. So when the brother arrives, he opens it, he, second he says, oh, you're not dead. And then he looks at again, no, he was not there. So, uh, so masters like that, they prefer to not have anybody around. On the other hand, more ordinary people, they prefer to have their teachers, their mentors, spiritual guide, 
their loved ones. But clearly, uh, what we call like a pure tamzik, tamzik is samaya, a clean samaya. So like good relations, you don't want anybody having issues, even a slight issue of any relationship. You don't want those people to be there regardless of how kind these people are and from another way. But they, they don't have a good relationship. You do not want them to be in that moment there. Yes, support is very important, yeah. Mm. And what about um, like deep grief, like unbearable grief? Uh, right now, uh, we have a teenager son as well and um, a friend of his just died in an accident. And how does one can hold such grief? Like how, and how do you support the people who are? Yeah. Yeah, I think generally like, uh, uh, you know, I, in the process in our tradition, the meditation, meditative tradition, I think it's always really the same way, either a teenage or I, for ourselves. Uh, the, the process is really able to allow these experiences of grief and not, not interfere, manipulate, control, deny, but allowing it. And at the same time, I think it's really important when you allow it, what happened is whenever you feel, for example, whenever you feel a grief and pain, immediately, even people will not say it, but deep inside they will feel wrong. This feeling is wrong. Why I'm feeling that? Why it happened that? And immediately they see something wrong in that feeling, that wrong in that emotion. And, uh, and that is, I think, is a really critical, important awareness to be aware of. You, like a mother, we, I always give an example of mother. <clears throat> if the mother sees the child, it's in pain. Child is crying. Child is seeking for connection and support and love. And as expression, child is crying. So what would mother would do? Mother will not ask the baby to, to stop crying or shut up crying or shake and ignore. And mother will not do any of those things. Mother will totally try to embrace that tear, that pain, that emotion. Mother will do that. And mother will give a hug. Mother will connect, mother will touch. Mother will be, be present there. One thing mother will not do is judge and control in that moment. So there's nothing different. Every time we need to do the same thing with ourselves. We need, our awareness needs to be the mother to our inner pain. Our awareness is the mother. Our awareness should be the mother. Our awareness is the greatest processor and healer of that pain. So we need to to deal same way with our own grief and fear and pain. So collectively, as when a teenage or any a child is going through that, what we can do, we, we can all, Maurizio can be a, a mother in that sense, you can be a mother, we, we can all be a mother, mother in a sense of our care, our openness, allowing that experience and embracing that experience and not judging that experience, not expecting something else. Why you're crying? Stop crying. You have cried enough. 
you look at different way. It's not always the same way you will, you know, we're always trying to explain differently rather than just embracing it. And so I think uh, being that mother of awareness and yeah, and which allows them to feel what they're feeling and, uh, and they're not trying to feel something different than what they're feeling because I think I, I always, I really do feel that. I mean, in our teaching, it says, you know, seeing pain as a negative is an error. This, this our emotion. So our emotion, seeing our emotion, something wrong with our emotion is a mistaken. Mm. So this, this line has been always there. Of course, I've heard when I was a little child, you know, but for last number of years, it really kind of, awoken in me as a teacher, as my own life and experiences, it's truly, it's amazing when you really don't see something wrong in your pain, in your emotion, that's the greatest healing process. Right. And that's like a deepest letting go. Yeah, because right. it's allowing it. When you're, when, you're, when you're not seeing something wrong in it, you're allowing it to express fully. It, it is expressing fully because expression of these emotions are like they're breathing. It's like if somebody's, if you think somebody's dead and some, finally somebody's saying, you don't want to close their neck, they're breathing, right? So it's like you think you're dead and you're finally feeling a little pain. You don't want to stop your neck. That's the breath. Expression of pain is the breathing. If the life is coming back, and you allow them to breathe, you allow them to feel, and you make sure they feel in their way, not your way. Yeah, the fear of being annihilated by a huge emotion, that's what, for me, creates resistance to fully be. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's hard, you know, it's a, one thing, one thing is we all know what to do, and one thing is for all of us is hard to do when we need, we need to do it right away. You know? <laughs> I know exactly, you know, with a teenage and um, yeah, it's um, but I think one thing is they teach us so much, you know, they teach us so much. The greatest teacher. teachers, yeah. <laughs> relentless. <laughs> teacher. And I was telling you, like in, in the Tibetan tradition, we have something called Dzogchen, the highest part, and then we have something called Sutra. Idea of in the Sutra, they say, they explain things with so many words and very, very complexity. In the Dzogchen, they say single syllable, like, ah. Do you get it? Hold the truth with ah, or with long explanation. I said, Parents are like a sutra teachers, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> tell them to tell them to do one. You have to tell one them to do, but you tell in a so long way. And they are the Dzogchen great master. They say, got it. <laughs> <laughs> they got it in a text, their thumbs up, right? Got it. No word anymore. You don't need to explain much. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a great parenting book. <laughs> Very short. Short. <laughs> the title is long. <laughs> and that's what we need to learn is trying to be as short as possible. Whoa. We can never beat them up with that. You know, they will be always shorter, but we can be cut half. 
Mm. Well, we want to leave a little bit time for maybe some meditation practice, if you would like to close with that. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, this I will guide a little short meditation. Uh, this meditation will be, uh, one can look this meditation as short meditation in your life when you are facing uncertainty, challenge, fear, particularly fear and uncertainty. And this short meditation you can also apply before you go to sleep because we carry a lot of anxiety, uncertainty, feeling and fear. And clearly, if, if, if the moment, a great moment of the moment of the death comes, this is, will be also a great moment to apply this meditation that moment. So it's, it's acknowledging fear and allowing the fear to rest and awareness, light of awareness to arise to guide you in the next journey. So please sit comfortably. Bring your full attention to your body. Allow body to fully rest in the stillness. And particularly be aware of any area of the body where, you're, where there is more tension or where you are putting more tension. Be aware of that. Let go. Breathe out rest deeper. Bring attention to your speech. Allow all the noises, pain speech, voices in your head, let all of them dissolve into the silence. Let all the efforts, the energy of the speech dissolve into silence and feel and be aware and connect fully to inner silence. Be aware of any wound, any pain, any discomfort in your heart, in your mind. Breathe it out. Allow it to rest fully in the sacred space of your heart. Feel that openness, clear sky, luminous in your heart. So allowing your body to rest in stillness, speech to rest in silence, 
mind to rest in that sacred space in the heart. Feel deep and deeper sense of resting and connected. And now gradually bring into awareness that lately you're feeling some sense of uncertainty, sense of lost, sense of disconnectedness, a particularly fear of changes. Feel that fear, the fear, uncertainty that you have been feeling. That fear is constantly manifesting that fear is connected with your pain identity. It's a, it, it is a pain, but it's there because it's not brought into awareness. It's not processed, it's not healed. So this is your opportunity to fully embrace. Fear, it's like a child who is in pain who is screaming, who is asking help. And your awareness is the mother who has opportunity to fully give that spacious, luminous, warm hug to this fear, like mother would do to the child. So go closer, feel closer, and see joy an opportunity to connect with your child, with your inner pain identity, opportunity to heal, opportunity to be free. Give this spacious, luminous, warm hug like mother would give to the child. Feel it, feel it, hug deep. and feel like what the child will feel. Child is feeling connected to the mother. Child is feeling protected by the mother. Child is feeling loved by the mother. And these sense of connection, love, protection, child is feeling healing. 
in the same way your inner fear of uncertainty, change, death, unknown, it's melting away by the warmth of awareness of your mother, inner mother. Let it melt and feel new space, new freedom. full of light, full of clarity, full of joy, full of liveliness. Like a death of the ego allows the full liveliness of yourself. Freedom. Feel that light and intentionally bring that light into your life in this moment, in the moment before you go to sleep, before you take some actions, do something, say something, feel something, bring the light of confidence in these enlightened activities. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tenzing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a beautiful conversation and this beautiful meditation. Oh God, it was so. <laughs> mm. Thank you. Thank you. So. Thank you for listening to The Sounds of Sand. And we invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAND content available exclusively to SAND members. We would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, check us out on Google and Spotify, and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be well.